We have a New Testament reading now taken from the second epistle of Peter, chapter 1, reading verses 15 to 21. 2 Peter 1, 15 to 21. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In that reading that Robert brought to us from 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter's remembering that time when he and James and John went up on the mountain and they saw Jesus transfigured before them and they heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son, and Peter is recalling that in the passage. We pick up the accounts of what happened when they came down the mountain, weaving together different strands of the narrative from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke. The next day, when they, Jesus, Peter, James and John, came down from the mountain, they came to the other disciples. And they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. A large crowd met him. When they came to the crowd, he, Jesus, asked, What are you arguing with them about? A man in the crowd answered and called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. The man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed you of speech. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. Whenever the spirit seizes him, he suddenly screams. It throws him to the ground into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. It scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. I brought him to your disciples. I asked, I begged your disciples to drive the spirit out. But they couldn't. They couldn't heal him. 
unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? Jesus replied. How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy, your son, here to me. So they brought him. And even while the boy was coming, when the spirit, the demon, saw Jesus, immediately threw the boy to the ground into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. He often falls into the fire or into the water. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the sea, he rebuked the impure spirit, the demon. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out of the boy. And the boy was healed at that moment. But the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Jesus gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. And after Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This kind can come out only by prayer. So uh, this evening we're going to be considering another saying of Jesus that uh, Jesus utters to his disciples. And in fact it's a promise that's found uh, in and recorded by Matthew. Matthew chapter 17 verse 20. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now these words uh, are found in the story of the healing of the boy from an unclean spirit. And uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke relate this healing. And uh, they put it um, coming immediately after the transfiguration of Jesus. And However, only in Matthew's Gospel do we find this particular phrase found in relation to this incident. So I want us to consider something of the immediate context of this saying. Now if we look a bit before the Transfiguration, we read how Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. And Jesus poses a question of his disciples. Who do you say I am? And Peter replies with the answer, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then strictly warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Then he proceeds to tell them about how he, as the Son of Man, must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then Jesus put before them the challenge of authentic daily discipleship. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And then this dialogue is followed by the transfiguration of Jesus up on the mountain, witnessed by the three apostles, Peter, James and John. And then as we heard before, they come down the mountain and we have the healing of the boy, which actually begins in argument and failure. And it's in this context that we have the saying of Jesus, recorded by Matthew, nothing will be impossible for you. So what does Jesus mean? Does Jesus mean nothing will be impossible for you? Well, when we come to a verse, or a phrase, or a saying of Jesus in Scripture, we need to be careful not to take it out of its immediate context, but also look at it in regard to Scripture uh, overall, and perhaps in comparison with other same or similar Scriptures or teachings. So firstly, taken in context, I want to say that I think that Jesus is mean, meaning nothing will be impossible for my disciples by faith. Nothing will be impossible for my disciples by faith. You see, when Jesus brings this notion of the impossible being made possible, and nothing being impossible, he says it to his disciples but links it with faith. See, here in our passage we have Jesus replying to his disciples' despondency over the fact that they could not do something, the casting out of a demon, which they had earlier been given authority to do, and had done on other occasions, but here, that day, they faced failure. Was it because these disciples that were left at the bottom of the mountain while the other three were up the top, uh, these disciples were not as powerful as the three up on top of the mountain? Was it because they had forgotten the formula? For casting out demons? Had they got distracted in an argument? So that's what we find them doing. Uh, what was this argument about? Was it because why it wasn't working? Uh, or whether they should have even been trying it in the first place if they couldn't do it? Well, in this instance, Jesus links healing and deliverance or rather failure of healing and deliverance, with faith. Jesus answers their desperate question, why couldn't we drive it out, with a simple answer, 
because you have so little faith. He goes on to say, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, it is important to ensure that we have a translation of the Greek that is accurate in our English. And here I want to say that the NIV I don't think is entirely accurate, or it may give us the wrong impression. Let me read the Greek to you. Not actually read the Greek to you, but <laughs> read it in the English bits of the Greek. And he said to them, because of the little faith of you, truly, for I say to you, if you have faith as a seed of mustard, you will say to the mountain, to this, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. A couple of things here. Firstly, as I said, Jesus gives the reason for their not being able to drive out this spirit as being the littleness of their faith. The Greek word here is oligopistos, from oligos, meaning little in number or low in quality, and pistis, meaning faith. In other words, few occurrences or applications of faith. This word occurs five times in the New Testament, little faith, each time with Jesus rebuking the problem of failing to hear his voice. So the one who is of little faith is someone dull to hearing the Lord's voice, in the sense of being non-responsive to his word or command, or disinterested in walking intimately with him. Someone not willing to repeatedly exercise faith in response to hearing the Lord's voice. In other words, they have the opportunity for obedience, but they do not act upon the commands by faith. They have little faith. Secondly, Jesus speaks of the need for faith so he speaks of the need of faith and the particular faith which is needed being faith as a mustard seed. Elsewhere we hear that this is the smallest of seeds yet grows into the largest of trees. Notice, as we have in our New International Version translated, he does not speak of faith as small as a mustard seed but faith as a mustard seed. So not as small as a mustard seed, to emphasise the smallness of our faith, but rather the growing capacity of our faith. Faith is like a mustard seed, not that it is small, 
but that it has the capacity to grow and to grow big, as the mustard seed does small to big. In other words, though our faith may start small, it should not stay small. For the mustard seed, planted, grows into a plant big enough for the birds to nest in. Authentic faith is growing faith, used faith, active faith, not stunted faith or unplanted faith. For who plants a seed and expects it to stay a seed, or expects it not to grow. We plant the seed in order that growth may occur, and that we may benefit from all that that seed has the potential within of producing. So I believe that Jesus is saying here to his disciples, invest in faith, and you will find that if you keep exercising and planting, growing your faith through acting, living by faith, you'll find that your faith grows and grows, and more and more is possible. Perhaps we could say that Jesus uses hyperbole here, a faith that moves mountains, but his emphasis is not on us trying to find an incredible or impossible thing to do by faith, but allowing our faith to discover more and more what is possible as God commands and calls. In other words, when God speaks, we respond by faith. Remember how his disciples were amazed when the fig tree withered at his command. And in response, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So as we pray and seek God, we discover what God desires and commands, what mountains he wants moved and overturned. In Job chapter 9 verse 5 we read, He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. The disciples could not heal the boy. Where was their faith planted in prayer and growing through acting upon it in greater and greater degrees? Remember how in Luke chapter 17 the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, 
be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Again, the Greek has it, faith as a mustard seed, our New International Version, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed. But if you have faith as a mustard seed, again, faith that is planted, that is acted upon, we are to live by faith. We are to allow our faith to grow. To allow our faith to grow through faithful obedience for the next thing, then the next thing, then the next thing, as God leads us onwards, small to bigger. May we be like the apostles who cried out, increase our faith. In other words, what we would be praying is, Lord, put me in situations where it requires my faith to grow. You see, Jesus does not ask us to do the impossible by ourselves, but the impossible that is possible with God by faith. So secondly, nothing will be impossible for you with God. Let's also consider another incident where Jesus speaks about impossibility and possibility. It's the incident of the rich young ruler. Matthew, Mark and Luke, again, all record this story of how Jesus commanded the rich young ruler to sell all he had and give to the poor in order to receive eternal life. And yet the rich man uh, seemingly could not bring himself uh, to do that because he had much wealth and he goes away sad. What Jesus was asking of him was not possible. Or was it? You see, Jesus concludes by saying in this story, uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke put it slightly differently. Matthew says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Mark, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Luke, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, the rich young ruler looked to his own resources to be obedient and found them lacking. What was needed was faith in God expressed through obedience to God. So if God is asking or commanding us to do something, then it is possible for us to exercise faithful obedience to God, even though with our own strength it seems impossible. I might put it a different way. Jesus did not, in this instance, ask the rich young ruler to do something that was actually impossible. It was possible for that man to sell all he had, give to the poor, and then follow Jesus. But it must have felt impossible because of that hold that the wealth had upon his heart. It may even have seemed impossible to the disciples for such a man with 
wealth to do what Jesus had commanded. And yet just this one thing he lacked, one thing he had to do, and he would receive eternal life. You see, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. God will not ask the impossible of you because with God it is possible. It may not feel possible. But if God is asking you to exercise your faith in his words to you, then it is possible. And many things that God asks of us though they may be difficult, are not actually impossible. And things that may be impossible for others are possible for us as we obey by faith. And this is key, that we should be living by faith, not by sight. See, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we come to him, we place our faith in him, and we earnestly seek him. The third and last thing I want to say, which may sound contradictory to what I've said previously, is that not everything is possible. Remember how Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew and Mark recalled for us two of his prayers in this way, and I group them together. So Matthew and Mark say this of the first time of prayer, Matthew. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Mark puts it, he fell to the ground and prayed, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he went away a second time. Matthew puts it and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And Mark, Abba, Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Does Jesus distinguish what is possible for God and what is God's will? Was it possible that Jesus could avoid the cross? When faced with the armed crowd come to arrest him in the garden, Jesus said, that he could call upon his Father God, who, quote, will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. But he did not. Jesus knew that it was the Father's will that he drink the cup of God's wrath and judgment so that we do not have to. Jesus willingly submitted to the Father's will out of their shared love for fallen humanity. Perhaps here is the ultimate example of what seemed possible 
or even desirable, not being possible. The removal of the cup of Christ. And at the same time, the seemingly impossible being made possible. Christ Jesus, God in the flesh, drinking the cup of suffering and death. That God suffers for us, becomes sin for us, dies for us. This is mountain moving stuff. If you want to know what impossible made possible looks like, look to the cross and know that the battle was won hours beforehand in anguished prayer in the garden. Jesus chose to do the impossible, the incredible, the unimaginable. He chose the cross. And Jesus calls us to choose the cross also, which no doubt also feels impossible to all of us, to pick up our cross daily and follow men. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. How is it possible to die yet live? You see, Jesus doing what seemed impossible made restoration to God possible, forgiveness from God possible, reconciliation with God possible. With man this is impossible, but with God this is possible. So I conclude. I urge you, don't go looking for the impossible to do. Rather, you and I have enough trouble with what is possible. The, hum the, the humble, faithful obedience to God's word in what we can do. There are many things that the Lord already is calling us to do that are possible. Some of these we are not doing, but they are not impossible, they are possible. And these are to be done by faith, not by sight, not in our own strength. And if the Lord does call you or I to do the impossible, then it's simple. Simply act in the same way that you are doing with the possible, by faith not by sight. Because without faith it is impossible to please God. Acting apart from the Lord's will is not obedience. Do the possible in prayerful faith, planted and growing. And don't be happy with small faith. Often Jesus said, O ye of little faith, but allow your faith to grow into great faith. Don't stop where you are. Do the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, 
through faithful obedience to God's word, through the prompting and empowering of his Holy Spirit, you will find yourself doing the works that Jesus did. And Jesus promises even greater things. So Jesus calls his disciples away from arguing, away from even the mountaintop experiences at times, to be his mountain movers, his mulberry tree uprooters and planters, his water walkers, his fig tree witherers, as we allow our faith to grow into more and more possibilities of obedience. Listen for his voice daily, his command to you daily and respond with faithful, faith-filled obedience.